Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mudiwa Gavaza, and for today, it is a Friday, which means we get into uh, the hard economics uh, of uh, the week. And, um, you know, it's quite an interesting week um, on the economic front because uh, yesterday uh, we actually saw the Reserve Bank's Monetary Policy Committee um, coming out with its highest, um, you know, with its biggest biggest rather um, interest rate hike in uh, in a couple of years now uh, i think the number that i saw was that it's um, since 2016 and obviously all of this stuff has um, a big uh, impact um, over on what's going on the world of consumers um, at the same time you know just the general um, cost of life the general cost of living and everything that uh, that is in between and that's the discussion that we are going to be having today uh, because um, with the 50, 50 basis points um, hike, we see the new prime rate sitting at 8.25% and the new repo rate at 4.75%. I think for those that, uh, you know, just, you know, to make the explanations clear sometimes, when we say that um, interest rates have gone up by 50 basis points, we just simply mean uh, 0.5% because you have 100 basis points that make up the 1%. Uh, but for today, the discussion we're having is more related to the uh, to the day-to-day lives uh, that people are living and uh, interest rates you know form you know just one part of that because one of the big things we've been following on this platform is this pressure uh, that consumers are under uh, on a day-to-day basis with everything that's going on we've highlighted um, inflation concerns we've highlighted um, high fuel costs at the moment we've highlighted um, you know that even before the Russia the Russia war, people were still trying to recover. And FNB uh, came out with some new data recently um, and they estimate that it takes an average of five days for a middle income consumer to actually spend uh, you know, up to 80% uh, of their monthly salary suggesting uh, that such consumers, you know, the ones that are earning between 180,000 rand and 500,000 rand per annum survive on about a fifth um, of uh, their salaries every month to help us uh, to actually decipher what all of this means um, you know on a practical level we are joined uh, by uh, Senzo and Sibande who is the CEO of FNB Money Management just so that we can get a sense of what's actually going on on the ground Senzo, greetings to you this morning. Hi, Madiwa. Thanks for having me and uh, good morning to your listeners. Now, before we get into the 80% and the 20% and, you know, the middle income and all of that, F&B manage Management, uh, maybe you could give us a little bit of insight. What is that particular business unit in the bank uh, about? I think um, F&B at this point is one of the big, you know, whether you consider them the big four banks, the big five banks, uh, but everyone knows F&B. Uh, but the specific business unit, when we talk about money management, what are we talking about? Look, we're very privileged to be in those leading positions with some of our peers. So we never take that for granted. I think money management specifically is a unit that really focuses on helping clients begin and progress 
their journey to financial wellness. Now, what does that mean? We practically try and help more consumers to be able to reach their financial goals. I mean, whether that's home ownership and can I get my first home, paying for my child's education, or potentially being able to retire well. I mean, depending on who you listen to, I mean, anywhere between 5 and 7% of South Africans will not be able to retire comfortably with, I mean, with sufficient income to actually last them through. So what you try and do is you try and help through these positive behavior changes to get customers to reach more of those financial goals. And through that, then we touch on multiple aspects of their financial lives. I mean, some of it relates to um, financial education. And if you think about financial education, anything from understanding compound interest, inflation, et cetera, which you, you alluded to in your introduction, is quite important for you to be able to really start building financial wealth and then achieving those goals. The other big piece we focus on is building this idea of financial resilience. Obviously, as things change and emergencies happen, we want you to be ready for that journey. I mean, COVID exposed a lot of how consumers were not ready for some of those impacts. So having sufficient um, savings in order to manage some of those emergencies that may happen during the year. I mean, emergencies will happen. The other big piece is being able to have a sustainable debt level. You don't want to have too much unsecured debt in such a way that as interest rates increase, you're unable then to sustain um, all these efforts that you're putting towards reaching those financial goals. And then eventually we want you to get you to financial independence and freedom, where you're able to start investing, insuring, and really contributing to building those long-term financial goals. So in a nutshell, I mean, we're working very hard to help our customers reach those long-term financial goals so we can improve stats like the retirement stats and all these other stats that are associated with poor savings rates, et cetera, that we want and we think that any good financial institution should be working towards. I'll touch a bit around how we get through that. But I mean, for now, I think that's a good intro to share what we do. Okay, I think that certainly helps us to get uh, that understanding. You know, as an economist, one of the big things I've always, uh, you know, known and understood is the fact that um, as long as a business's objectives are in line with, uh, I guess, you know, that of uh, their customers as a driver, uh, then it, it then it at least puts my mind to ease uh, just around, um, you know, why certain things are happening, right? Because um, in this particular case, it's symbiotic, right? If your consumers as if, if your customers as F&B are in a better financial position, then you guys as F&B as a bank are also in a better financial position. So I think that alignment is always, um, it's always important. And now shifting to the practical aspects, uh, what we where we began this conversation, the 80%, the 20%, 80%, right? You know, I'm ticking, I'm, I, the, the years are ticking, you know, a little bit yeah, on my end, but I still consider myself a member of the youth. And I am going to peg this conversation towards the youth because I think uh, a lot of young professionals find themselves um, in this particular bracket that you guys uh, are identifying, right? Um, I'm sure there's a whole group of other people but you know i'm just thinking that you know a fair uh, proportion of the people are you know the young professionals the young people starting out um trying to progress and all of that what's going on like are we getting you know to the beginning of the month and just shelling out 80 percent of the of our money is it debit orders is it mortgages is it car payments insurance what's going on look i i think when we pursued the study we what we wanted to understand is really 
um, how are people spending their salary and how quickly the salary lost in the account. And obviously those spend insights then start helping us influence customers to manage their money better and probably improve and, and contribute to those goals that I shared initially. Now, when we looked at the study, I mean, we looked at salaried um, good risk clients and what we wanted to understand was to say, how long is the salary staying in the account? And what we found is that 80% of that salary is used up within the first five days. Now, that in itself is not really a bad thing because, again, a lot of the debit orders are quite close to your salary date so that you don't miss anything. I think what's more insightful for us is what is it going towards? And we started looking at that and we found that people who have unsecured and secured debt unsecured debt being debt that is not linked to an asset. So your credit cards, your personal loans and the likes, and then secured debt being really that that involves your home loans. So it's linked to an asset, either home loans or car. We're shelling out about 65% of that income towards those type of activities. Now, what's important for us to understand is to say that 30% is really a number that in an ideal world, as you try and pursue your financial goals, we'd like it to be closer to under 15% of your RTI. Um, repayment to income. So how much you, you, you're paying towards that unsecured debt. And so those are some of the insights that we looked at to say, okay, so what are you spending your money on? And then how can we help you maybe look to reduce that so that you can be able to start facilitating investments, savings, those behaviors that allow you to reach these financial goals we speak of. It's a, it's a very interesting one. And especially when one looks at, uh, you know, the breakdown, um, is it because of all the items that you, that you that you meant? Is it necessary expenditure uh, that you guys find that um, this eighty percent is going towards? Um, but more importantly for me is the twenty percent that's left behind. Does it necessarily mean that people are strained? You know, uh, through the month, or is it that you're you're taking off the big ticket items, rent, etc. You know, such that through the month you're only just spending money on things like grocery or maybe entertainment. Yeah. So maybe if we think about it as, let's say, sixty five percent is going towards some form of debt repayment, some good debt, and maybe potentially some not so good debt, depending on what you've used for your unsecured pieces, because there's good debt associated with unsecured. Then we also have an interesting measure, which we call productive spend. And productive spend really looks at how much of your income is going towards things like investments, insurance, medical aids, and the likes. And ideally, what we try and track is to say how much of the, how much of the clients that we, we looked at actually have more than 10% of their income going towards that. Now, we found that it's only about 45% of those clients are actually contributing to this productive spend which then means that by implication, another 55% are under this 10%. So it is to say there's lots of clients that are contributing well and paying off the insurances and the investments and the likes, and then also paying off their debt. But there's also lots of clients who have started reducing that contribution towards um, investment insurance and the likes, which then means that it's going to something else. The something else that we've also looked at is to say, what are the other big ticket items that are sitting in this basket? One is groceries, and you'd understand with the impacts of inflation that people are spending a little bit more now on groceries. The other big ticket item is fuel and transport, which also makes sense based on what we've seen with the fuel price. The interesting one for me was also eating out and treats as the third category that we saw people spending their money on. So there is a mixed bag, I guess, of spend, but we do see that there's a lot more needs versus wants, which is great. But equally, I mean, if that's being funded from unsecured debt, it's concerning. And we'd ideally want consumers to start, I guess, managing their unsecured debt and being deliberate, right? I think 
what's more important for us is less about these proportions and about am I deliberate in what I'm choosing to spend my money on? Is it sustainable? And then does it not get in the way of me achieving my long-term goals? That's that's really what we're trying to, I guess, get consumers to start thinking about as they engage with some of these insights. Okay. No, and I like the fact that um, you do talk about uh, the good versus the bad debt. I think sometimes people don't fully understand uh, the fact that, you know, something that's going to be productive. Um, if, for example, you have... Uh, You'll correct me if I'm wrong here, but if, for example, I have a car loan and it's a car that I'm using to go to work on a daily basis or in my business, then that's a good form of debt because it's productive. But if I have 70,000 Rand on a Foshini account because uh, I just like the latest fashion and I have too many clothes, um, you know, then that's a, you know, that's a, that's a bad form of, uh, you know, that's a bad uh, form of debt. And I guess tied to that debt to that debt um, discussion is one of the things we flagged at the beginning of this discussion is the interest rate decision from yesterday. Does this have <laughs> fine? It obviously has an impact, but I'd say rather the question I'd ask is you know when does it have an impact? Because some of these things take some time for us to actually see uh, the results of it, you know, in our actual pocket. We've been talking about inflation for a long time, but I think it's only in the last maybe three months that consumers have really been feeling, okay, fine, yes, that word inflation is actually now affecting me in my pocket, yeah. So, I mean, it'll, it'll play out in different ways that, look, what's probably going to happen is we're going to have more interest rate increases. So this is continuously going to be a conversation that consumers are going to start having. I think the first thing that will play out is um, your cost of debt. So if you have unsecured and secured debt, that's more likely to go up more sooner than later, which then means that, that how much you are paying for your bond or potentially um, your personal loan, et cetera, may then start increasing, which will already start eating away money in your pocket. The other piece then is around the cost of goods that we and you buy over time. I mean, that will also significantly increase as we go into the financial year. And what we're hoping for is consumers to start prioritizing their spend, right? I think what's going to happen is more and more households are going to start feeling a bit of pressure. And it's quite important that they reflect back and say, what are the important things that I need to worry about in my household so that I can satisfy these needs that we speak about and then start worrying about the ones. So like eating out and treats, while that is great and important as part of uh, uh, the income that you spend, you probably may want to start managing that so that you can fulfill more of your needs. And again, it's not as long as your spending is not impacting, I guess, your financial goals, then you should be fine. And, and, and I do think the trick is just to make sure you go back to the basics. I mean, I, I don't know, growing up, I mean, I always had a bit of a piece of a paper and my mom always used to tell me, you need to budget, you need to use your pocket money correctly. And it's no different whether you're the biggest organization or the smallest one. And these days, I mean, we're fortunate that we have all these cool tools that are available where people are able then to quickly have a trend for the last 12 months of how much they've spent, set a bit of a threshold, and then be able to stick to that threshold. I mean, we have very similar in things like smart budget, et cetera. And, and, and maybe to tie back to my introduction around saying, why do we do some of these insights? A practical example is under, we have a tab called Navigate Life on the app, and it's called Nav Money. And in there, we introduced the functionality that says, see my available funds, right? Available funds, not in the sense of what I have today, but it starts predicting to say for the month, you have 20 or 15 debit orders coming up. And before your next payday, this is how much is going to be left in your account. 
Now you can imagine what that does for the consumer and what it empowers them to do. If my, that number is negative, you already know that based on today, at the end of the month, I may struggle because, again, there's debit orders that are coming up and it's going to leave me negative. So I can start making the relevant plans. Do I slow down in some of the spend? Do I start looking to fund the, 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 the difference? And then for those customers with a positive balance at the end of the month, it's about how do I increase that positive balance and then start redirecting more funds towards long-term investments, insurance, and that type of thing so that... I guess you are building this wealth. I mean, that, that's ultimately what we want customers to do, build wealth so that you can be able to achieve these big goals. And then hopefully you have a little bit that you can pass on to the next generation, right? We talk a lot around young professionals wanting to pass on something to the next generation. So this is why I guess we start off talking to customers about these things. No, definitely. And I like the fact that you are talking about, you know, all of those different tools because I was going to ask like, what are the interventions? Because um, as a bank, there are a lot of perceptions that we as the general public and consumers have about what the role of a bank is versus, you know, who we are. And sometimes you have this perception where you sort of feel like um at least there's this general notion that um you know the man or the bank is trying to keep us uh you know financially enslaved and all of that uh but what do you say to that notion and especially when it comes to the types of interventions uh that you guys are are are, are trying to come up with because um it, it, it's a funny it's a funny sort of dichotomy you, you know what i mean because um i, I the more debt that I have as a customer, I guess the what do you call this? The more, um, the more that I have, uh, what do you call this? Uh, to pay my bank and all of that stuff. Uh, but at the same time, I'm just thinking about you know, the better in a financial position I actually am. You know, the more it sort of works into the bank's favor. So either way, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a little bit of a tough one. So maybe just you you know talk us through some of those interventions and also just that notion. How do you get rid of some of those perceptions that people have when it comes to their relationship with their banks? Yeah, look, that's a great question. I think um, firstly, I mean, we're in the business of help, right? And 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 luckily, money management by its very nature is really about helping clients. I think. The one thing that I'd start off with is we want and we want to democratize this idea of advice, right? We want the ability for everyone to benefit from being able to get good advice that will help them reach their financial goals. And as part of this, traditionally, this notion of advice has really been reserved for the very wealthy or potentially in the realms of investments and insurance. But you can think to most consumers, it starts off with what I'm doing in my banking account to find the money in order to start investing and insuring and building up this wealth that will eventually get me to advice. So we go about it with this notion called integrated financial advice, which then starts off by saying, let's understand what's happening in your check account and lending where most consumers are struggling today. It's either you're paying lots of fees or you potentially have lots of debt, which then limits the cash flow in order to be able to save and invest. And part of that is to say, how do we help you give good advice or we provide good advice so that you can start unlocking this cash flow? Now, part of that is how do we help you influence your spending habits? Now, in terms of the tools we have, and I'll speak a bit about the platform tools, 
We have tools that allow you to track your spend. We have tools that allow you to budget more smartly. So we give you insights around these are opportunities in which you can save money. That money must then be deliberately used in order to start facilitating some savings goals. So you can imagine we have tools that relate to savings goals and whatever those goals may be. We want you to start deliberately looking at your finances and saying, actually, I want to not worry only about the now. I want to start worrying about 20, 30, 40 years, because again, eventually I'm going to have to retire and I'd ideally like to retire well. So those are part of the solutions that we start to offer. Then once you have the capacity in order to be able to save and invest, then we start talking to you about the appropriate savings products, whether it's for kids' education, retirement, or any of the other kind of savings that you'd like to do, which then allows you to start building this long-term wealth. So Firstly, just this idea that we want to provide integrated advice, which helps you, I guess, through your banking, your lending, your insurance and your investments, and even your telcos. How much are you spending on prepaid airtime? Should you be in a different contract, et cetera? Because again, for me as a consumer, that's where I'm spending my money. And ideally that money over time, I'd like to start spending a portion on that, on thinking about these long-term things that will eventually happen. And I need to start planning early. I think from... um, interventions perspective, other things that we try and do is, I mean, it's it's all about education. You need to educate people to know exactly about these financial things. I mean, we did a study uh, a few years back around um, how many people understand the term compound interest. And we found that only one in three people really understood compound interest. Now, in that construct, the importance of compound interest for building wealth, whether you're talking about investments and savings, or potentially for credit is a big, big construct that you need your consumers to understand so that when you start talking about financial products, already they understand whether this is working or this is not working and what are the implications of this long-term kind of behavior. The other then piece is these insights. I mean, for me, I was quite excited when we were having these conversations and I was looking at the social media feeds and just the engagement around saying, yo, I didn't know this I didn't know that my salary quickly went. And it's probably happened to many of us, but to actively be aware of it changes the conversation to say, okay, now I can do something actively about it. Then for me, the last one is then go back to the basics, do the financial behaviors that you need to do in order to improve your situation. So budget, that's a big one. Plan your expenses. Then also start thinking about balancing the short-term and long-term goals. And ultimately it starts over the simple thing of lifestyle. I don't want to keep up with the Joneses. I must respect my lifestyle and understand where I am so that I can achieve these long-term goals. So there's lots of great interventions. And I think other organizations are also doing the same thing. We've recognized that it's quite important that we help our clients reach these financial goals. And whether it's through platform solutions or integrated advice, we want to make sure that, listen, the stat of 5 to 7% of people retiring well is one that we want to improve significantly over the coming years. Yeah. No, definitely. And I'm actually laughing because uh, our, our, our producer actually just wrote in the chat that she that she might actually be, uh, you know, one of the one in the, uh, the two in the three uh, there, you know, which is uh, which I guess is emblematic of the conversation that we're having as we round up um, on the last point, uh, Senzo, um, in this economy. Right. I'm going to put you just on the spot, you know, for 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 a moment as we end off. What is the goal in this current economy? We've spoken about the interest rates. We've spoken about my 80% is running away from my account. We've spoken about uh, all of these different pressures. We've even spoken about lifestyle creep, uh, like what you're talking about, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, uh, trying to make, trying to look rich as opposed to being rich, um, you know, all of that stuff. 
Is the goal in this current economy to grow one's income or to save money? Sure. <laughs> That's actually quite an interesting <laughs> question. That's a great question, to, to, to be honest with you. And, and, and I'll, I'll take the, they used to call it the MBA answer and say it's a bit yeah. of both, right? Uh. So, so <laughs> you, you, you certainly want to improve your earning ability because that then means that you can achieve more of your goals. But how you make money is not necessarily how you're going to keep money. So you also want to be really good at keeping and investing money so you can achieve those goals. So it's, it's, it's a two-pronged process rather than just simply saying you only need to focus on making money because it doesn't necessarily mean that if you make a lot of money, you're able to keep that money invested and then grow it and convert it into real wealth. So for me, it's quite important that definitely I, I would never say don't pursue. And that's why I think things like investing in education, starting businesses. I mean, when we have time, we can also chat about side hustles in, 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 in next iterations around saying how consumers are starting to look at alternative sources of revenue to complement their core income streams. That's super important. And we always promote that. The second piece then is to say, now that I've made this money, how do I plan so that I can get the maximum use out of this money? Because again, you want to make sure that that money is being Firstly, helping you become resilient. So you don't necessarily get tripped on your journey towards financial wellness. You want to make sure that I have the ability to last and pass through the emergencies that may happen as I build my wealth. And then also importantly, I mean, I need to protect myself, which is another important piece. Protect the person who's making the income, also protect my family. And then it's also about protecting the assets that I have. And we talk a lot around these three themes when we talk money management. Then the last piece then is to say, now that I have all this protection, I'm ready then to start tackling these investment pieces, investing in bonds, in um, equities, et cetera, in order for you to really grow your wealth. And I think those are the things that you should be focused on. So I would definitely not say only focus on the one or the other, focus on both. And then the other big thing, I mean, a theme that we chat about a lot is value-based spending. First, decide what you value and then pursue the dream, right? And again, if eating out is something that you truly value and that's part of your big plans, that's okay to spend your money on eating out as long as it's not to the detriment of any of the other things that you value. Yeah. Value-based spending. I like I like that one. I've heard of value-based investing, uh, but value-based spending, you know, that's a you know, that's a new one. And I think it's going to be a term I'll be using around uh, the dinner table, you know, from now on, uh, you know, because we all have different values. I mean, if I value ray-ban sunglasses or jordans you know then it should be okay as long as um you know as long as uh, i'm not in the what's it called as long as it's not to the detriment uh, of my family and all of that it's really been a great uh, discussion uh, we were talking to we were talking to uh, senzo Sibande, uh, who is the ceo of fnb management um, giving us a lot of insight into our spending habits as consumers based off of a study um, that found that 80% of their customers um, were actually having uh, their money actually going at the beginning of the month, uh, especially in that 180,000 to 500,000 uh, bracket. And uh, also just talking about, you know, what are people actually spending their money on? For now, he says it tends to be a lot more of the needs versus the wants, which is a good thing. But a lot can be done in terms of actually helping to manage uh, all of those different factors. And one of the big messages is education. 
uh, because in this current environment, we spoke about interest rates and a lot of economists, even uh, Senzo is saying that we're likely going to see even more interest rate hikes uh, that are going to feed into uh, the cost of borrowing and feed into all of this inflation that we're currently um, experiencing right now. So, you know, some type of uh, prudence needs to be taken uh, by by all of us and actually see what are you spending your money on and actually have plans and then obviously ending off uh, talking about value-based spending. Senzo, thank you so much for, for being with us today. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and educating us for today. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time and hopefully we have lots more of these conversations around our dinner tables as we try and help South Africans become more savvy with their money. This is Mudiwa's Take. Very fascinating discussion with Senzo, and I think we keep talking and talking about uh, the economy, uh, but one of these conversations is great because um, it sort of ties um, what's actually going on, um, you know, macroeconomically to what's going on on a micro level, what's going on in each and every one of our pockets on a daily basis, what's going on, um, you know, middle income, middle income consumers, and we're talking about the strain that they have. Now, imagine... Um, uh, lower earning consumers what's actually going on and that ends up being uh, the majority of the country uh, as i said we've been talking a lot about inflationary pressures we've been talking about um, an ailing economy all of this stuff so down the line you hear these things they are flagged but down the line you start seeing uh, the practical results and these stats are not really surprising because of the fact that um, you know people tend to have things like your debit orders on debt, um, you know, on insurance, all of that stuff that goes off at the beginning of the month. But um, what's more important about a discussion like this is actually inspecting what people are spending their money on and how people can actually optimize their spending and their budgets. And when you see it within the context of uh, a bank like this, uh, as I said, um, one would think that um, you know banks would want um, consumers to be more and more in debt so that they can get more and more service costs from that end. But the healthier that a you know customer is, uh, possibly um, the more money that a bank could possibly could get uh, from that customer when they're investing in bigger um, in bigger projects and bigger things, right? So there is that duality, and there seems to be that. Um, symbiotic relationship that's you know coming out and I think as long as those things are aligned then hopefully it means that we can have more and more financial institutions that are trying to help us And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcasts on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.